Would you join together with me in a word of prayer? And gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we pray that you would speak to us in such a way that in discovering who you are and, and, and what you are as you are with us, you might give us even greater reason to trust you and to enjoy your presence and to be able to give ourselves to you and to glorify your name. This I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. <clears throat> now last week we, uh, we've been continuing our journey, walking our way step at a time through the 23rd Psalm, and we came to the end of verse 3 where we read one of the great blessings that comes from having a relationship with a good shepherd. There we read these words, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, when you read that, you, it feels almost like you've, you're going on to the on-ramp for the great highway of life. He leads me now onto a path of righteousness. Now the path is opening before me, and I'm going to really make some time in, in, into my life. I think of that every Sunday morning as I cross the border from my home in Birch Bay, which is in the United States, and I go from a speed limit where the sign says 25 in Blaine, and then I come across the border and I see the speed limit and it says 100. And I think to myself, now we're talking. You know, this is my kind of country. Uh, oh, it took me a while to realize that that was 100 miles, uh, kilometers instead of miles. Uh, uh, you get the idea that now's the time to push on the, the, the pedal to the metal. He's leading me to, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Off we go. But from verse 3, then, we come to verse 4. And then we find the very first leg on the path of righteousness, it doesn't quite go the way we expected it. Do you see it right there? It says, Now, having entered in the paths of righteousness, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Suddenly discover that that, that highway is congested. It, It's not a place for cruise control. It is not a place for a pleasant Sunday drive. It is a path through the valley of the shadow of death. It is, as I have it on your sermon outline, a very dark path. A very dark path. Now, I I don't know what you think of when you hear the word valley, Uh, but my guess is that you may have a picture in your mind of some pleasant place surrounded by hills, kind of a, a pleasant pleasant valley, bubbling brook, something almost like driving through the Coquihalla Highway and coming down into Merritt. You know how it is. You come down there and you see the, the, the Nicola Valley opening up in front of you, and from an elevation, it just looks so pleasant, doesn't it? But that's not what we find in verse 4. I want you to get that picture out of your mind. The valley that we're talking about here is the valley of the shadow of death. Or probably something which is better translated in Hebrew is the valley of deep darkness. Let me ask a a brief question here, and it's going to be a very important question. How many of you have ever been to Israel at all? Anybody here? A couple hands. Okay. Uh, You know, of all the Sundays not to have a PowerPoint, it had to be this Sunday. I was going to pull out some personal pictures and give you, on a, you know, one of those little slideshows, and 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 uh, I was desperately trying to get an idea of what David had in mind when di- talking about this dark path, and when he wrote this psalm, and I've discovered that he was actually referring to very familiar terrain. 
And the picture that I would have had there, so you're going to have to use your imagination, is of the Judean wilderness where he served as a shepherd. Now, you're you're going to have to forgive me uh, because uh, twice I've had an opportunity when I was teaching at Wheaton College to be able to to teach in Israel and spend several months at a time with students living in Jerusalem. And and if you've ever been in Israel, you'll recognize that Jerusalem is on the uh, a, a spine of mountains. And and if you look to the west toward the Sea of uh, to the Mediterranean uh, uh, Ocean or Mediterranean Sea, you, you know how green it is. I mean, when you look there, it's green because all that humid air comes and it goes. It goes to elevation. It rains and it's nice and green. But when you look to the east and you look into the wilderness of Judea, you begin to realize that it is like the badlands, or almost like looking into the Grand Canyon without the grandness of it all. It's, it's barren, and it's very sharp uh, uh, wadis or canyons that are cut into the limestone, and it's, it's a bleak and a desolate sort of place. You see, the eastern slopes of Israel, known as the, Ju- uh, uh, the Judean wilderness, are harsh in their desert. They are cut by, by deep canyons called wadis. And because of their geological structure, the limestone, they are cut in, in almost terraced lines that, that over the centuries have, have taken on little paths that are narrow and kind of leave you as you're walking along hanging on the edges of cliffs because that's the way the erosion takes place. And it was in those hills that David led his flocks, and as a good shepherd, he he knew how to be able to discern the goat paths that led from the lowlands of the Jordan Valley, where the Jordan River lie, uh, uh, all the way up through those mountainous sort of canyons to Bethlehem and and Jerusalem. It's very rugged territory, and and I know how rugged it is. Twice when I was teaching there, I, I took students on the hike of a lifetime. Uh, we would wake early in the morning in Jerusalem and, and, and hop a cheroot, which is kind of a, a, a stretched Mercedes taxi. And before even the sun would come up, we would take the drive from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And, 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 and with just a, a topo map in hand, uh, we would say, okay, stop right about here. I think that's the Wadi Kilt. And, and we would get out of the car and we would start to walk across the desert, and, and, and we would make our way up into the Wadi Kilt uh, and, and, and do a 30-mile hike uh, 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 from, from Jer- Jericho to Jerusalem. It was always in August, too, which meant that we were there in the summer heat, where we were climbing up through the rocks, and we were, and, and we were left not because there were trails, but we were left to find sheep trails with just that topo map in hand. One good thing about that hike was that there were very steep walls, and, and, and as the day progressed, uh, we would find ourselves uh, sometimes in the shade because of the steepness of the walls, and hence we found the name, the Valley of Deep Darkness, and, and with small comfort because we did find ourselves in a dangerous place. It was actually 32 miles in all from that hike, from 1,000 feet below sea level to 1,000 feet above sea level. And as we took that hike, I, I, I could get a, a feel for the picture that David paints. I, I wish I had the pictures to show you. Although I was 25 at the time and had a very bad haircut, so it, it's probably better that I didn't have them. But I hope I'm catching your imagination here of what it's like just with a couple of, of other guys to, 
be hiking up through that desert uh, and, and then get a picture of, of what David is painting within this psalm. Because what we're doing is we're, we're finding ourselves walking through gra- a, a, a dangerous ground filled with hidden fears. And as David is writing this, I can easily picture him looking around himself and saying to himself, oh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and thinking to himself, here I am exposed to so many different fears. The picture that I had was of a bird's eye view of the, wilderness, of the Judean wilderness, but David didn't have the privilege of looking at that wilderness from a bird's eye view. He, he could only see it up close, rock walls in his face. And I have to think to myself, we're, we're kind of like that ourselves. If we would look at our lives, we don't have a bird's eye view that God has of the whole terrain as it is before us. He doesn't, we don't even have a topographical map. All we have is that wall that is before us. You and I have the ability only to take one step at a time to go from the depths up to the heights. And, and sometimes without knowing it, we, we, we will find ourselves in danger and, and we are surrounded by fears. Fact is, we don't have to go to Israel to know what that means because fear strikes just about anywhere and everywhere. The English word for, the, for fear comes from the Greek word phobia. When I was in seminary, I came across a book in a counseling class that listed a catalog of phobias known to man. Uh, Wallace Hamilton had written it, and, and he had listed at least 75 different phenomena, phobias. And among them were acrophobia. Does anybody know what the acrophobia is? Okay. The fear of heights. Okay. Claustrophobia, the fear of closed spaces. Agoraphobia, which is the fear of open spaces. Uh, neophobia, the fear of things that are new. Pathophobia, the fear of germs and diseases. Photophobia, the fear of light. I like this one. Ergophobia, the fear of work. I think a lot of people have that. There's even rethophobia, I, I, this, the fear of blushing. Oh, my. And in his book, he writes this. He said, in spite of what they say, 90% of the chronic patients who see today's physicians have one common symptom. Their trouble did not start with a cough or chest pain or hyperactivity, or acidity, I'm sorry. In 90% of the cases, the first symptom was fear. Sometimes the fear is nothing more than a superficial anxiety. Sometimes it is so deep-seated that the patient himself denies its existence and makes the rounds of doctor to doctor, taking injections, hormones, tranquilizers, and tonics in an endless search for relief. But what they are dealing with is, more than anything else, a matter of just fear. You know what it's like. You know what it is to stand uh, maybe at the edge or maybe probably more probable in the middle of the valley of the shadow of deep darkness. <coughs> and there you find so many things to fear. And some of you have read this psalm and you thought to yourself, well, really what <clears throat> David is referring to here is really that, that moment of death. That's what he's talking about. You know, everything is fine up until you get to that place where, there, where suddenly a hospice comes into play. You, the, the, the valley of death is... Is, is death. I, you've heard that used in hospitals that now we are entering the valley. 
And that may be one application. But what David is referring to here is not a particular moment where life is at risk. He is talking about the continuous path of life that you and I travel each and every day, not knowing what is ahead, not knowing when the bottom will drop out, but knowing only this, we dare not travel that path alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David writes, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, he writes. You see, courage doesn't come from whistling in the dark as if there was no such thing as evil. Nor does it come from the idea that I've got enough muscle to take out any challenge that might come my way. It comes from having a close relationship and, a, and, 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 and enjoying the presence of the one who loves you and cares for you, who is your shepherd and does not leave you alone. I want you to know something very special, very powerful in this one verse, in verse 4. Because here you'll find there is a complete change of voice that turns over the psalm on its head. You see in verse 1, The Lord is a very personal God, but he's mentioned in the third person. In the the first verses, the Lord is my shepherd, as if he's out there. But in verse 4, the whole voice of the psalm changes and goes to the second person, where David is not talking about a God who is out there, but he says, thou art with me, you are with me. He goes to the second person, a direct the second person, a direct address, and he takes us from a God who is out there to a God who is up close and personal. And from this point forward in the psalm, it takes on a whole new tone, and it becomes a, con- a personal conversation between the sheep and the shepherd. He is no longer up ahead, leading or guiding, but he's right beside, and he's up close and personal. Let me go back to that hike in the Wadi Kilt. Both times that, that I took that hike with the students, I, I, I got an object lesson out of it. The first time, there were only three of us that went. Um, uh, two buddies, one of them Chuck Dixon and the other Kent Yinger, who later became my brother-in-law because I married his sister. Uh, we, we made a, a terrible mistake. That was the first time we'd ever done this. We made a terrible mistake in planning that hike. We did not take enough water. We, we, both, we, we all took one bottle of water apiece for a 32-mile hike in the middle of August from 1,000 feet below to 1,000 feet above sea level through a desert. Just a little aside, I was telling some of the people this morning, one of the oddest things that ever happened occurred in that hike about halfway through, and we were just parched. We had just about run out of water. Uh, there was a little shepherd uh, Arab shepherd, and he had a little tent, and we came up, and we pointed to our water bottles, and like, you know, is there, and he, 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 he put up his hand, it was like sign language here, and he came out with three ice-cold Cokes, and he sold them to us for less than we could have gotten them in Jerusalem, and I'm looking at the tent, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, extension cord. Where, where is he coming up with a refrigerator in the middle of the desert? I have no idea, and I don't know why I shared that with you, except that that was the weirdest thing in my life. In any case, 
We made that terrible mistake. And, 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 and as we were nearing the end of the hike, uh, my friend Chuck was struck with a heat stroke, and for some reason, he went so lightheaded that he, he actually lost his vision. It was like, you know, his, his vision, he, he couldn't see. And so Kent and I both gave the rest of our water to him, and then we, we had this strange way of walking out of the canyon. He, he put his hands on my shoulders, and we walked in lockstep as we negotiated a very narrow path that was actually down to maybe two to three feet wide on the side of a canyon that dropped down maybe 50 or 75 feet to the base of the canyon. And there were times, actually, that I had to end up piggybacking Chuck in order to get out of that that canyon. We, We made it, but I learned a huge lesson. The desert is no place to go alone. You dare not enter a valley without a partner. And here we have a shepherd, Jesus Christ, who who, who enters in that valley, who travels in that valley, and gets up close and personal, and as the path of life narrows down to the place where you can only find room for one foot at a time to, to go ahead of itself, he takes you in hand and he lifts you on his shoulders, and he pours out his water from a well that never goes dry, and he stays with you, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for he is with me. Bless you, God. Is he with you? Notice, when, when, when David changes the voice, he puts the issue into our hands. It is personal for him, but now it, it is personally intense for you as well. And as long as we're reading the psalm in the third person, we, we can only stand like a chorus together with David saying, yes, the Lord is a shepherd. And we can listen to David as he sings, the Lord is a shepherd, I shall not want, and say to ourselves, amen, the Lord is a shepherd. But here it has to be personal. You can't read this psalm as if you were eavesdropping on David in verse 4 and get anything out of it. You have to take David's place and make it personal for yourself. And when he puts it into the second person, David leaves it for you and me to do the very same thing and fill in the blank for ourselves. It means nothing for me to read this unless I too can look in the face of a good shepherd and say it for myself. It means nothing unless I can look into the face of Jesus and say, your presence is my comfort. And it means nothing for me to say it to you all if it's not going to be personal for you as well. And to say it, not only do you need to know that you have a personal relationship with the shepherd, with Jesus Christ, but but to have a confidence that comes from that sort of commitment and a trust that, that who he is provides the sort of firm protection you need in going through life. I love the last part of that verse where we read, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And for that, I brought my stick. One of the reasons, I guess, is that I have this in my office. I've had it in my office because this stick serves as a little bit of both. It comes close to what the shepherds of Israel would carry. Now, this was a stick, actually, that my brother 
uh, picked up when he spent a year in Holland as a high school exchange student. I have absolutely no idea what type of wood this is. In fact, I was stopped at the border this morning and almost lost my Nexus Pass because it is not treated wood. Uh, Well, what type of wood is it? I have no idea. Okay, but it's my cane. Okay, don't bring it again. Okay. In any case, my brother brought this home with him from Holland, and, and, he, and he told me how he had actually used it as kind of a, a golf club. So, you know, he, he would go into the backyard of the family he was staying with and, and, and smack apples into the neighbor's yards. Uh, and, and it does do a good job at that way. It does do a good job as a cane as well. Um, my brother died in 1969, and, and, and I've kept this in my office, not just thinking of him, but it has also become a bit of a comfort because it causes me to think of Jesus as well. And I, when I say it's a comfort, uh, having this in my office and my years as a pastor, it is a comfort, especially when I'm in the church building all alone at night. This place can become very scary, trust me. And so the rod and my staff, they comfort me. But here in Psalm 23, it says, the rod and the staff are held by the shepherd. And some of you may know what that means. There there were two tools that every shepherd had in Israel. They had a rod, which was a club. And it was made of hard wood, maybe like this. And oftentimes, the shepherds, uh, their their club was studded with nails or sharp rocks. And it was used to beat off uh, the threats, the coyotes, the, the wolves, the bears, the lions, the jackals. And the Lord stands with you with a rod, and he's ready to defend you from the enemy, both from the enemy that is near to you that he can hit, but also the enemy that is far away, uh, the one that you can't see, the one that, that, is, that is invisible. Derek Kidner writes of this. He said, a skillful shepherd was not only able to swing his club in order to smash the head of an attacker, but he could also hurl the club. Want me to try that? Hold on there. I'm gonna, no, okay, don't, I won't. I won't. He would also be able to hurl the club like a missile over the heads of the flock and would be able to strike a wolf at a, dis- a distance. Think of that. The Lord has in his hand something that protects you up close, but he also has a way of protecting you from the dangers you cannot see that are, are distant to you, but not to him with a skill that he can perform. The rod and the staff. The, the staff that he had would have a crook. And you kind of see the curl to this. The, 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 the staff had, had a hook at one end, and it provided an, uh, the shepherd with an instrument to pry a, a sheep loose from a thicket, or maybe lever a wedge into the rocks and pull a sheep out of the danger. It would even be used to beat down the high grass in order to be able to, to, to drive away the snakes that would threaten the sheep as they would come down with their very precious, sensitive noses to eat the grass. The snakes were gone. Maybe there to swish the grass in order to be able to open a path. The staff was there to help care for the sheep. And the shepherd had both in hand. And both were there to to comfort the sheep, and both 
are in His hand as He is there to comfort you. Now some of you I know, you feel so vulnerable in your lives. And I know exactly how that feels. Defenseless, naked, at risk. And I have to believe that the Lord, the one who stands watch over every single one of us, does so with a rod in his hand, which comforts me when I feel so helpless. And some of you may feel so stuck, finding yourself in such a, a dark and, 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 and dangerous place. And I know exactly how that feels, but on the authority of the Word of God, I have to believe that the Lord who is your shepherd is there for you too, capable of clearing a path and nudging you with the touch of his staff to lead you and guide you and protect you and to see you all the way through. And what is the result of such a relationship? By that, he brings you home. Let me tell you a little story. It was told by another pastor, Bruce Thielman. He says this. A friend of mine who was a minister in Southern California told me recently of a woman in a mental sanitarium there. She had been in the sanitarium for many years, suffering from a severe depression that left her speechless. She used to just sit on a bench every day, staring at the earth, no conversation and no response. One day, a new doctor who had never seen her came down the hall and he greeted her. And he said to her, good morning. She made no reply. Uh, What's your name, he asked. Still no answer. Well, at least you'll know who I am. My name is Dr. Heaven. Spelled H-E-V-E-N. And I'll be by to see you again tomorrow, he said. And then he started to walk away. As he took his first step away, she lifted her head and she, she, she said something to him. And because he did not know the patient, he didn't know how remarkable it was that she said anything at all. What did you say your name was, she said. Ah, he said, my name is Heaven. H-E-V-E-N. Now, somehow in that confused process of the wounded mind that had been broken by pain from so long ago, that woman confused the word heaven with the word heaven, H-E-A-V-E-N. And it caused her to begin to think about the heaven that she thought she heard. And as she thought about that heaven, she thought about God, and she thought about God's love that had been made known to her in Jesus Christ when she was just a child, The next day, she surprised the entire staff of the hospital because everyone she met, she greeted with a saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. And the day after that, she added to that one sentence that she kept repeating. She goes, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. After six days, she was saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And within five weeks, she was released from the hospital, and for the last 14 years, as Bruce writes the story, she's been carrying out her responsibilities as a leading teacher in Southern California. (laughs) Sometimes all you need to know is that Jesus Christ is your shepherd and that he is there, that he loves you and he cares. He really does love you.
It's hard to imagine that in a congregation like this, there aren't a few who are finding themselves in a dark path, in a dark valley, locked maybe in a fearsome battle. Please know you do not walk alone. The fact is, Jesus Christ is right there. And he's got a rod and he's got a staff. And he's ready to go to work. If only you would trust him. If only you would trust him. If you only would make him yours. And be able to say in the same voice of David, Thou art with me. You have it on your sermon outline. Not on the screen. (laughs) But I'm going to ask you to close with me as we read that. And when we come to that fourth verse, make it personal for yourself, even as we read it. Read the the, the 23rd Psalm together with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.